My name is Keith Beavers, and let's settle this once and for all. Is it radiator or radiator? What's going on, wine lovers? Welcome to episode 15 of Five Pairs Wine 101 Podcast. This is the bonus season. My name is Keith Beavers. I'm the Tasty Surgeon of Vine Pair. And how are you doing? Carbonic maceration. You may have heard this term being bandied about. It's ancient. It's fun. It's awesome. It's confusing. It's scientific. Let's get into it. You'll understand it. It'll be fun. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by E&J Gallo Winery. At Gallo, we exist to serve enjoyment in moments that matter. The hallmark of our company has always been an unwavering commitment to making quality wine and spirits. Whether it's getting barefoot and having a great time, making everyday sparkle with La Marca Prosecco, or continuing our legacy with Louis Martini in Napa. We want to welcome new friends to wine and share in all of life's moments. Interested in trying some of the wine brands discussed on Wine 101? Follow the link in each episode description to purchase featured wines or browse our full portfolio at BarrelRoom.com. Cheers and all the best. Okay, so I'm sure right now, as of the recording of this episode... If you're a wine lover and you're currently like in the wine thing, trying wines and talking to people about wines, what's very popular right now is this term called carbonic maceration. And you may not, you may not recognize that term, but you may recognize when someone says to you like, hey man, this is a carbonic red. You're like, oh, that's so cool. What does that mean? Well, the term is like new and sciencey. But the process is about as ancient as wine itself. It actually has to be as ancient as wine itself because of the way wine was made in ancient times. You're like, oh my gosh, Keith, that's really confusing. Let's clear this up. In 1872, Louis Pasteur, who's the dude who basically, you know, made pasteurization and stuff, he came to the conclusion that grapes held in carbon dioxide have a different flavor than if they were just held in oxygen. What he was basically saying was if when a whole grape is held in an anaerobic environment, an environment that completely excludes oxygen and is filled with carbon dioxide, carbon dioxide pushes all of the oxygen out of its atmosphere. And if a grape is held in carbon dioxide in an anaerobic environment for a while and then released into oxygen, crushed and then fermented into a wine, the resulting aromas and flavors are considerably different than if a wine grapes were made in the traditional way. So get this wine lovers. If you were to take a vat and you were to carefully place bunches of grapes that still are on the stems, just a bunches of grapes and you place them into the vat carefully all the way to the top and you put a cap on it, and you leave it alone for, say, two to three weeks, what would happen is the lower layer of grapes would eventually get broken and crushed underneath the weight of all of the grapes above it. Those grapes release the juices. That juice starts filling up a little bit into the tank. 
as those juices fill up a little bit in the tank, yeast that's in the air find that sugar and begin a little bit of a fermentation. Now, as that's happening, that fermentation is creating ethanol and carbon dioxide like it would any other time in any other fermentation. But this is where things get really crazy is that carbon dioxide starts rising as it would in any vat. But as it rises, it rises to the level of grapes just above the crushed grapes. And those grapes are still whole, but they're surrounded by the juice of the bottom layer of broken grapes. And I'm sure some of those grapes might crack or break, but what's happening here is that layer is surrounded by juice, yeast, and CO2. Now, that CO2 keeps rising, and it rises all the way to sort of the top layer. So let's say this is three layers within the vat. When you're at the top layer, the juice hasn't gone up there, but it's all carbon dioxide. So what's happening here is the carbon dioxide has pushed all of the oxygen out of the vat. It's already at the top. So now all the grapes are pretty much covered in juice, yeast, and carbon dioxide. That carbon dioxide starts to soak into the whole grapes, the intact grapes. And as the carbon dioxide soaks into those grapes, it brings or draws the anthocyanins and the tannins, some of them, from the skins into the flesh of the grape and actually goes through a little bit of a fermentation. It's called intercellular fermentation. And this right here is where things start to change or pivot like Ross. That will bring different aromas and vibes <laughs> into the resulting wine. Within these intact berries, they lose about a fifth of their sugar. They also gain a little bit of alcohol strength by like maybe 2%. They also increase tremendously in something called glycerol, which gives a sort of chewiness or viscosity to a wine. And they lose about half of their harsh malic acid. Malic acid is that sort of sharp acid that is converted into lactic acid during the malolactic conversion, which I talk about in the Chardonnay or white wine making episode in season one. It also increases a little bit in pH. So we're, we're, we're almost like, it's almost like we're, it's not sharp anymore. The sharpness of what's happening inside these grapes is calming down due to its interaction with carbon dioxide. This is all happening within the intact berries. And what's even nuttier is within this process, while this is all happening, it's thought that very unique flavor compounds are being formed. And I don't want to go deep, deep, deep science here, but I find this so cool because within the flesh of grapes are, are these things called flavor precursors that will eventually be the primary aromas of a resulting wine after grapes are crushed and exposed to oxygen through the winemaking process. These are flavor compounds being created by whatever's inside that flesh of that grape without having the oxygen exposed. So these grapes don't even, don't even get a chance to have oxygen. So the carbon dioxide is, is, is just creating something completely different. I, I just find this so wild. I hope you guys do too. <laughs> and they think that the flavor compounds that are being formed within the grape are, if you read these compounds, 
you kind of get a sense of the resulting flavor. While carbonic maceration is happening, compounds by the name of benzaldehyde, which is from almonds, it's, a, it's an almond compound, vinyl benzene, which gives a sharp, sweet smell, ethyl cinnamate, cinnamon, ethyl vanillate, vanilla, and methyl vanillate. So you have almondy, almondy, so, <laughs> almondy, sweet, sharp, cinnamon, vanilla vibes happening during the carbonic maceration. Michael Flancy, F-A-L-N-Z-Y, a Southern French scientist in 1936 observed that grapes held intact for several days under CO2 and then crushed and made into wine in a traditional method have are, are brighter in color, less tannic, and have a distinct perfume to them. And when you sip red wine made from carbonic maceration, the common aromas you're going to find are bananas and bubblegum. Yeah, it's crazy. Also, if you know what kirsch smells like, it also has a little vibes of kirsch. It's basically just cherry or Morello cherry brandy. And that's carbonic maceration. Guys, that is the most ancient way wine can be made. Am I right? Whenever you see the old photos or photos <laughs> or uh, illustrations of people stomping on grapes, that carbonic maceration is, is happening when you stomp on grapes. You're crushing. I mean, you're, it's, it's a little bit different than holding it, you know, on letting the grapes do the crushing. You're crushing it. But this is essentially the oldest way of wine making. And in modern wine times, carbonic maceration is mostly known or famously, I should say, known in the Beaujolais region of France when they use the grape called Gamay. It's a process that is not happening as often these days as it did as it was back in the day. But when we get to the Beaujolais episode, which I will get to, I promise, we'll get further into that. But here's a little twist to the story. What I just explained to you is carbonic maceration. But these days, that is now called semi-carbonic maceration. Because you're letting the grapes do all the work for you, and you're coming back in three weeks, and you're going to crush it, and you take it, and all that. And it's a gradual, slow process. Today, there is something called true carbonic maceration. And what that basically is, is... It is forcibly injecting CO2 into an atmosphere and making sure that all the grapes from the beginning have CO2. So we're not waiting for grapes to get crushed, waiting for yeast to find it, waiting for yeast to eat it, having the yeast do its thing, carbonic, you know, carbon dioxide raising up. No, what they're doing is they're putting, they're carefully putting the grapes in the vat, like I said before, and then they're pumping CO2 into the vat so that when the crushing, natural crushing starts, carbonic maceration is like immediately happening so that the majority of the grapes go through the intercellular fermentation and get the majority of the fresh and fruity vibes they're looking for. Okay, so what's going on now? Right now, the trend towards carbonic maceration seems to be pretty popular. 
And what's cool about it is that we're just experiencing another way of winemaking that we, that's been around for a long time. It's finally hitting the market and we're actually able to enjoy it. <laughs> they're lower in alcohol. They are fruitier. They're easy to chill. They're great by themselves or with some cheese or friends. You know, it's just like a very social vibe with wines that have gone through this sort of carbonic or semi-carbonic maceration. Again, we're going to do a Beaujolais episode, but if you ever heard of Beaujolais Nouveau, that is that vibe. But nowadays, what we see in the United States is carbonic maceration is just everywhere. And what that is, is there are grapes out there called hybrids. And if you listen to the Philoxera episode, what we go th- I go through some the hybrid stuff. And these are, these are grapes that were a cross between French and American varieties. And these varieties often have a certain compound in them that give them this really kind of odd kind of primal sort of like pheromone foxy. They call it foxy nose to it. So it's a little bit intense. Um, if you throw hybrid grapes through the carbonic maceration process, it's more than it's, it's there's a better odds that that compound will not overwhelm the wine. So these days you'll see a lot of hybrid wines. Well, not a lot. I mean, hybrid wines are becoming popular on the market, especially in the United States. And a lot of them are going through this carbonic maceration. So it's really just guys. It's a whole new category of wine (laughs) to enjoy. These wines don't age. They're not, they're not going to be, they're not going to develop. They're ready to drink like right now, buy it, put it in the fridge, chill it down, go buy your cheese, invite your friends over, pop it, drink it, you know, repeat. You will see some Vitis vinifera. I think Keb Franc is very popular right now for the carbonic maceration stuff. Um, maybe some Merlot. You're not really going to see Cabernet Sauvignon, but it's also often it's going to be a blend. Sometimes it'll be one variety, but it's mostly going to be a blend, and it's going to be red. As far as white wine, you're not going to see a lot of carbonic white. Um, I don't know what that entails. I've actually never had a carbonic white. Uh, one of my colleagues at Vine Pair said they had had a carbonic Moscato. That sounds kind of awesome. I kind of want to try that like right now. But there you have it, guys. That's now carbonic maceration is like so easy, right? It's like, oh, okay, I get it. No problem. So when you see it on the wine shelf, you're like, oh, carbonic maceration. Okay, let's pop that, chill it, and do the thing that Keith said. All right. I'll talk to you guys next week. Fine Pair Keith is my Insta. Rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps get the word out there. And now for some totally awesome credits. Wine 101 was produced, recorded, and edited by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the Vine Pair headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon for creating Vine Pair. And I mean, big shout out to Danielle Grinberg, the art director of Vine Pair, for creating the most awesome logo for this podcast. Also, Darby Seaside for the theme song. Listen to this. And I want to thank the entire Vine Pair staff for helping me learn something new every day. See you next week. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by E&J Gallo Winery. At Gallo, we exist to serve enjoyment in moments that matter. The hallmark of our company has always been an unwavering commitment to making quality wine experience. Whether it's getting barefoot and having a great time, making everyday sparkle with La Marca Prosecco, or continuing our legacy 
Louis Martini in Napa. We want to welcome new friends to wine and share in all of life's moments. Interested in trying some of the wine brands discussed on Wine 101? Follow the link in each episode description to purchase featured wines or browse our full portfolio at barrelroom.com. Cheers and all the best.